the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, fast, and inexpensive, making it a great cash backup plan. From my own personal experience, I really believe that every nonprofit should have a line of credit in place just in case, especially because the line of credit costs nothing to set up. If you would like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file that you can use if you need to use your line. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. On a personal level, I have a 25-year career of building companies, and I have the privilege to speak with nonprofit executive directors on a daily basis. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and please subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app so you can hear future podcasts. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Doug Borwick, CEO of Outfitters 4. For three decades, Doug Borwick served as a director of the not-for-profit management and arts management programs at Salem College in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. At Salem, Doug created the major in not-for-profit management, and in 1997, Doug was appointed Salem Distinguished Professor. Doug Borwick is a sought-after speaker at conferences both nationally and internationally. Outfitters 4 is a provider of a full range of back office and planning services for nonprofits. Outfitters 4 exists to assume the burdens of routine management so nonprofits can focus on their mission. The experienced staff provides services ranging from financial and HR management to planning and consultation. Doug, welcome to the Nonprofit MBA podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this. So it's like an incredible day in the Northeast today, isn't it? I know, Doug, you're out of uh, Maryland, I think. North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to be with you today. So uh, it was, you know, when you and I were talking about what you would cover today. Um, now, I've never reported it to a board. And, you know, we do interact with the boards for the nonprofits a little bit because it, the, and when you're getting a line of credit set up, the board has to approve the line of credit. You know, so, you know, that's something that's part of our process, too. And when I asked you what what we should talk about today, you, you had given me a title, which was uh, Nonprofit Boards, the Executive Director's Best Friends. And in quotation, uh, in parentheses, no, really, explanation point. And I was a little taken back. I was like, wow, that's I always assumed that the board is there to really support the executive director. But people being people, I can understand now looking back that it can be sometimes challenging dealing with people. 
So why, why did you kind of think about this topic in that way? Could you, I mean, out of, out of a hundred nonprofits that maybe you interact with, what percentage of them have difficulty dealing with their board? Okay. Well, I think maybe it would be helpful to kind of back up a little bit and talk about why the why it's so common. Uh, if to to begin with, we we are in we are in an industry where you have a group of volunteers with limited or no expertise in the work of whatever the nonprofit is doing, who are the policymakers and supervisors of the ED or the CEO. That is just a bizarre. <laughs> Kind of uh, situation, and when you when you describe it that way to people, they say, "Why in the world is that is that a thing?" And that's because of the of the nature of not for profit organizations coming out of the tax law. Uh, boards have uh, several several roles, but one of them is to ensure that the public good is being served. Yep. Because nonprofits are getting the tax benefits and, and other benefits, but primarily the tax benefits that they get, not having to pay sales tax, not having to pay you know tax on, on income coming in, all those kinds of things. The tax law set up a system where volunteers, people who are who don't have a financial interest in the organization, have to be there to make sure that uh, as I said before, the public good is being served. Yeah. So that's that's the reason that they're there. And, I, and that's the reason this bizarre thing is. And there. I would imagine there's no there's often not a job description. There's not a list of oh, there's yes. not a list of responsibilities for the that's board right. member. Uh, and and I I would imagine uh, that that's one of the first things that you, you right. get involved with, huh? Well, and it's and it's virtually certain that someone who does not have a, a long background in nonprofits is not going to have any idea of what being a board member one what how a nonprofit works, but then even more so what the roles and responsibilities of a nonprofit board member are. So one of the one of the issues is is a that critical one ongoing is training. The other thing the other thing that uh, board members are supposed to do is serve the organization to help with its mission focus to to support the nature of its work in the in the community and so you know the principal internal function of of a board is as a as a resource but unfortunately a lot of nonprofits have gotten it in their head that the only resource that uh, boards are good for is to give money. Yeah, and so and so you have a lot of boards that their only function, both as they understand it and as they're asked of the organization, is to get is to give money, and that's not a very fulfilling thing. It is not a it's not a good way to struct to structure a, a powerful uh, supportive board. Hmm. If we, we can look at boards as being resources, and certainly money is one piece of that, but there are all kinds of other things that boards bring, lots of times expertise, although you know you have to be careful about assuming that for-profit expertise translates to nonprofit because there are so many differences, but this is not the, the time for that conversation. Right. Um, but you know, as a, as a variety of other things, as boards, especially in the social service sector, but across the nonprofit world, are beginning to understand that 
they have issues around uh, diversity and representation on their boards. Oftentimes, oftentimes connections in the community are as important a resource as money itself. And so that's something that, that boards need to need to wrestle with and organizations need to wrestle with, okay, what is the, what is the function of, of our board? We, we get a lot of, you know, we, we get, when I've, when I've dealt with uh, executive directors who are at a point where they can let their hair down, you know, there are a variety, <laughs> there are a variety of thoughts about boards, you know, they're a necessary evil or an annoyance, they're a rubber stamp, they're a roadblock or busybodies. What we need to get to is understanding boards as a potentially invaluable community-based resource. And that is a place that we can that we can go. I look at this a little bit like when I when I do um, meeting uh, management or meeting development work, I say every meeting you go to ought to be meaningful, productive and fun. Yeah. And if it's not if it's not, there's something wrong with either the culture or oftentimes more to the point the the way the meeting has has been has been structured so that these are these are things that uh we can we can look at there are way there are ways to help boards uh develop and become more become more effective so give me a couple of examples where uh you you go in to talk to uh, an executive director it might be a board issue to begin with it might not be a board issue to begin with what are, what are a couple questions that you would ask that executive director to kind of uncover issues? I think the, I think the first one is is very simple. It's you know, do your board members show up for the board meetings? It's amazing how many organizations have trouble getting people to show up. Mm. And I will say almost always that's because the meetings are so boring. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that I say is that as we're as we're looking at as we're looking at meetings, this is in my you know, little list of tips, you shouldn't you shouldn't have people just reading reports. You know, there should be some kind of a consent agenda where People can, you know, sort of submit ahead of time the report from from a committee, and people can look at it. But you don't need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the um, most important things that I ever learned about uh, making board meetings successful is the idea that every meeting should have opportunity for substantive discussion on a critical issue in the field. So that the board begins to understand what the what the uh, situation is for the nonprofit out there in the community, and can and can then be drawn in, have enough have enough background and understanding to be drawn into a discussion about okay, so how can we how can we move to improve this? Uh, and I think another thing is in those meetings soliciting informed advice, support beyond just the money. You know, yeah. you can you can get people excited about being at a meeting if they realize that they're making a, a contribution that yeah. is that is significant. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, I've only I haven't been on a nonprofit board. I've been like on a a club board, and mm-hmm. you know, and I just don't. I always felt, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be good on a board because I'm, you know, I'm a doer. And right. if I'm going to sit back and I think a lot of successful people tend to be doers. Right. And, I, you know, if I'm going to be at a meeting, 
it better be good. Yes. You know, and it's one of the reasons yeah. why I kind of like question would I fit well on a, uh, a nonprofit board because I'm just, you know, I'm impatient. I want things to happen. I want to contribute. I'm willing to do a lot. I'm willing to give money, but it's got to be well run. Right. And is that is that a common occurrence? Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, the the underutilization of the potential of a board is one of the principal reasons that board meetings and board service are are can be innervating. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just it's just, uh, you know, what what why am I here? What am what am I doing about this? You know, and I would and I would say you know the the question of being a doer there are plenty of things that boards can provide help and support with you know community connections is one that that comes immediately to mind certainly certainly supporting uh fundraising because there is that fiduciary responsibility that falls to yeah. that falls to a board but that's you know that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the total extent of it you know, being involved in mission evaluation, in planning work. And I think, I think one of the principal things that, especially people coming from the for-profit world, but this is true of, of just people generally coming in, that with respect to the staff, the, board, the board's role is to hire, support, and evaluate the CEO, but not the other staff. The CEO, the CEO is the one who is responsible for hiring their staff, and that should be their job. And if the board has issues about the staff, then that's part of the evaluation of the CEO. Yeah. In in training, one of the one of the things that I often talk about, and I can't remember where I stole this from, but it's it's been helpful, is to tell the board when you are together in the room as the board of directors, you are the organization. From the from the from yeah. the point of view of the state, the way you know the way the legal structure is set up, they are the organization, and when they're in that room, they have their board of director hat on. When they leave the room and are out of that meeting, they leave that hat in the room, and they are they are just the individual that they are. If they walk into the office, they're not a board member with responsibility that needs to be taken seriously. They are a volunteer. Someone, mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. there to help, because one of the fastest ways to undermine a, a CEO and executive director is to have a board member come in and start giving orders or making requests of staff members who report to the who report to the ED, because mm-hmm. those people mm-hmm. know that you know the board is the boss of the staff. So if the of the of the executive director, so that they know if the boss of the executive director is telling me to do something, I guess I better do it. But, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. that conflicts with what the ED knows they need to do. What do you do when you have like a a a person on the board who's a maverick who's causing problems? <laughs> uh, you know that's a very individual thing. Lots of to- lots of times that comes from just a lack of understanding of what they're supposed to be doing, and mm-hmm. not having enough appropriate work for them to do. You know, so that so that sometimes that can be channeled. Uh, I think there, you know, there are occasions of people who are, who are just, you know, who are of the mindset, this is one category of the mindset that, you know, I'm given uh, $50,000 a year. 
I should be able to tell you what to do. And mm. you know, money money does talk, but you it can get the it can get the uh, organization in trouble. So, what I strongly advocate is an annual board evaluation. And mm-hmm. one piece of that certainly is evaluation of the work of the board as a whole. But I also believe that there should be evaluation of individual board members. The way, but the way that's done is at the beginning of a year, have each member set up goals for themselves and commitments of what they're going to do with respect to fundraising, with respect to attending meetings, all other kinds of things. And then at the, you know, into nine months or towards the end of the year, have a board governance committee. And these are board people, a board governance committee that will sit down with each of the board members and say, okay, so how'd we do? And it provides an opportunity for instance, for a board member who has had a really rough year to say, okay, I didn't meet these goals and these are the reasons why, or to have a conversation about, you know, I'm not sure that the direction of this organization is where I want to, you know, be spending spending my time, and it provides it's not, it's not necessarily pleasant, but it provides a, a much less uh, intrusive opportunity for uh, the two parties, the board as a whole and the individual board member, to say, okay, let's let's just sort of say this is not this is not working we can and we can go go on from there uh it, it yep. clearly is not easy and particularly if the conflict is with the uh, executive director in a situation like that there there has to be a strong board president who can who can step in and say okay this is just to the board member this is just not appropriate and we've got to and we've got to figure out either a way to you know dial it back or this you we can't we can't afford this in uh, in the board. Do you think there's a a, a standard methodology? Let's so uh, you know let's say you're a smaller nonprofit, uh, you know like a million dollars or two million dollars, and um, you really haven't put together much with your board. You know, you have, in other words, you, you don't have job descriptions. You don't have, you know, the end of the year evaluation. Is, are there, is there a standard methodology that either you or your organization has that you say, okay, you got to do this, 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 and this? Sure. There are lots of, there are lots of very kind of typical, normal things that, that, you know, we can we can go in, or other you know board board development people can go in and talk about. And I I would say that the things to be the things to be looking at are the whole recruitment and training process. Uh, with with respect to recruitment of oh, the board, of the board, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, with respect to recruitment, it should not be a you know sort of three week thing towards the end of the year where a nominating committee you know, pulls a bunch of names out of the hat. Mm. There should be over the course of the year, like a tickler file where people's, where people's names are put in. And one of the, one of the best approaches for that is to, uh, with board committees, with the work that the board has to do, have people who are not board members on some of those committees Mm -hmm. so that, so that those people can get to know the organization and the, uh, 
organization can get to know them because that's a great pool of potential board members on down the road. Uh, and it has the advantage of being able to you be uh, being able to provide access to uh, some diversity that oftentimes is not uh, available on the on the board. Mm -hmm. So I think recruitment is a big is a big thing. Training certainly uh, talking about okay what what is the nature of training? It's certainly its roles and responsibilities because a lot of Especially with smaller organizations, a lot of people don't realize uh, what a what a significant legal responsibility there is in being a board being a board member. There certainly there's certainly the responsibility of the board as a whole, but there's also individual responsibility going back to the you know the duty of care, loyalty, and obedience, where individual board members can be on the hook, which is a reason that for uh, DNO insurance. Uh, but it's Im important for uh, board members to understand those kinds of things. And things things like with the fiduciary responsibility, I always talk about many boards, again, these are smaller ones often, there's there's one person on the board, like the treasurer, who when the financial report comes up, everybody looks at them, they nod their head, and so everybody votes yes. The fact of the matter is that every member of the board is individually responsible yeah. for yeah. for understanding those uh, financials and agreeing that yeah, this is this is uh, a reasonable expression of who we are as an as an organization, and it's possible to train people even who don't have a financial background to to read the to read those things sufficiently. Uh, so those you know the recruitment the training uh, process for that, and it shouldn't be one time and then you forget it. You know, the training needs to be, uh, I would say, at least annual because yeah. with people, new people coming on the board, uh, they need to be in the same place as everybody else. Plus, people forget, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they need and they yeah. need reminders and a converse. And that's also a conversation about, you know, where we are today. How are things going with respect to implementing the plan and and then putting in a process for for board evaluation it's it seems like you know the executive directors especially at smaller nonprofits i mean when we're talking smaller say maybe under seven or million yeah. you know revenue a year um they the executive directors have so many hats they're wearing yes it 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 almost, it almost seems like an executive director should get someone on the board who's the board president or someone on there to say, listen, you know, how could we make the board more uh, effective and yes. more helpful? Yes. And then, and then that person either works with you or or runs with, okay, this is how we're going to improve. Is that more normally the case? That's <clears throat> what I get when I get called in. If it's not, if it's not a sort of crisis. Uh, with the with the executive director and the board, most often it's an executive director who has found an ally on the board who realizes that change needs to happen. So yes, yeah. that is a very that yeah, is a very yeah. common, and it's far easier because you know it's a it's really a strange circumstance where there is this group of people who are not expert in what the organization does, who are the bosses of the executive director. 
Yeah, I would think that the board would would love the structure, honestly. Yeah. 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 Most of them most of them do. Yeah, yeah. So uh so we have about five minutes left. So you know, so so far we've talked about um, you know, identifying job responsibilities on the board. Uh we've talked about training uh of of the board. We talked about uh making the meetings interesting so that people want to come to 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 yeah. the the meetings. We've talked about, you know recruiting and doing that more consistently and and not waiting to the end of the year and having a tickler file of people that could be board good board members we talked a little, little, bit, little bit about mavericks or people who are you know uh, challenging uh what what uh what else would you say is and did i miss any uh i think you know, I think that's pretty much what we what we have covered. Yeah, I think the one other thing that I would talk about is that the nature and role of a board changes, at, to a certain extent anyway, changes as organizations get older and as they grow. Yeah, you know there are there are life cycles in organizations, and there is a, there is generally and you know the very very small ones the startups that have that have a founder uh who sort of brings a bunch of people together and uh, has them be the board of board of directors oftentimes those people have no clue <laughs> the the organization and and don't want a clue and the founder doesn't really want them to have a clue yeah 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 the yeah. founder wants to do what the founder wants to do but that almost always after the startup or founder period, almost always results in a, a crisis having to do with, oh, I forgot to submit the 990, mm. or I forgot to submit the final the final report. So, you know, there's a period where all of a sudden the board now has to step up and assume some some real support and accountability for the organization. At, at what what revenue point does that typically occur that you say? It's it really is with the smaller organizations, uh, and from anywhere from you know the really 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 tiny ones that are just doing nine ninety EZs up to often oftentimes they can get into a you know a million or two of revenue and not having to no that's probably too strong. I would say seven hundred fifty thousand of revenue before gotcha. before they before they start to they start to trip over themselves like that. And but, is that is that the I know that you deal with a lot of smaller nonprofits. Is that seven fifty and higher typically when they're starting to look at bringing you in? Uh, I I have gone in for a lot of the really small ones simply because mm. they realize that they don't have their act together and they don't know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, the, the next level is sort of a different category. It is, okay, you've got a significant organization here and we need to, we need to uh, put controls in place because you don't, because you don't have them, you know? And so that then becomes uh, the next period, you know, sort of the systems period for the organization where control is important but eventually, as it continues to grow, people start to butt up against that control, and they're they're not able to function, you know, because there are too many controls imposed from a single source. That then 
needs a spread of authority on the inside of the organization. And so the boards are going to be parallel in this to a certain extent where there needs to be diversification. You know, so you need to have someone in charge of marketing. You need to have someone in charge of fundraising. You need to have someone in charge of the of the programming because one person or two people can't do it all anymore. That period of diversification then almost always ends in some kind of internal conflict, fights between the department. My favorites are the marketing and the development people not wanting to talk to each other because they've got their they've got their uh, budget quotas to meet, uh, and so that then ends up being another inflection point where it becomes essential to refocus on the mission and renew the organization. And the boards are going to be changing according to what the needs of the needs of the organization are at that point or the life stage of the organization. Yeah, yeah. So it, I mean. It sounds like a lot, but I guess, you know, I guess anyone's advice uh, to an executive director would be start with one thing that makes sense. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Start. You don't, you know, you don't have yeah. to tackle everything yeah. and it doesn't have to be, you know, this month. You, right. you start with one that, th- that you think that makes yeah. sense. Uh, you know, listening to this podcast certainly is a is a good start. Yeah. Um, and then you get some ideas and, you know, some of it is is common sense. Some of it, maybe they need to bring an expert in yeah. like you or, you know, read, a, read, read a couple yeah. of books or, or articles yeah. and kind of go from there. Does that yeah. sound like the right thing? I think one, especially with boards, one of the real advantages of uh, bringing in someone from the outside is that everybody knows that they don't have a dog in the fight. And if mm. they have, you know, either by experience or training or whatever, if they have credibility, they will be listened to more than will an executive director or a a member of the board. I I sometimes say, you know, I am often brought, I am often brought in to say again, what the executive director has been saying for a year, but nobody ever listened to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we could, I know we could talk on this for a while. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, I would just like to very much thank uh, Doug Borwick, CEO of Outfitters 4, for coming on today's podcast, uh, sharing with us uh, some of his ideas and what he's seen as his experience. Uh, Doug, if, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, how would they do that? Uh, they can go to the website, outfitters4.com. Or they can email me. Probably the easiest would be just Doug at Outfitters4.com. And it's uh, Outfitters, O-U-T-F-I-T-T-E-R-S, number four, the numeral four mm-hmm. dot, dot com. Great. If you like today's podcast, uh, for those listeners, please feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you could call us at 862 207 4118 or visit our website at financingsolutionsnow.com. Lastly, if you feel your nonprofit has a unique story relating to how your nonprofit is applying business or leadership tools, please contact me. We are always looking for speakers for our podcasts. Thank you for listening and thank you for making the world a better place.